Tonight's reading is taken from 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 to 11. A few Bible is on page 272. Or otherwise, it's going to be in the screen. Hannah's prayer. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth bursts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out of food, but those who were hungry hunger no more. She who has barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and rises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with prince and has them inherit a throne of honor. From the foundation of the earth and the lords, upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by the strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. This is the word of God. Good evening. Uh, I'll start, if I may, with a smaller side, and that is that um, I just want to say thank you to uh, the band, who, um, those who've chosen the songs this evening. Um, I don't know why it should always amaze me so much, but it's it does often amaze me to, to sit in the pew knowing I'm getting up to preach to find that as we work through the service that the songs match exactly with the theme of the day and um, uh, I don't know why that I don't know that it surprises me anymore but it always warms my heart and um, so I'm grateful for whoever's responsible for that um, and, and just, a, just a little note something that 
cropped up in my mind just a moment ago. There's that word in that last song that we sang in the chorus, that you should bear my cross, that I could be set free. And it really struck me for a moment because I just had a picture in my mind of, well, it was Jesus walking down the road carrying his cross and they dragged Simon of Cyrene out of the crowd to carry his cross for him. Except that it was me carrying the cross and it was Jesus who came out of the crowd. Enough. A small introduction. Please have your Bibles open at 1 Samuel chapter 27. Yes, 27, not chapter 2, which is where the reading was from. Uh, Sometimes people set the preacher a little interesting task. They give them only one verse to preach on, and it's a difficult one. Or they give them a topic to preach on, and it's a difficult one. Or they, as happened on this occasion, they give you five chapters to preach on. And um, they're quite interesting, long chapters. I did suggest to Victoria that we just have an opening hymn and a short prayer, and then I preach for an hour and a half. But um, we decided against that. Um, But we've come, as Victoria said, to the end of 1 Samuel, and we've just got the last five chapters to wrap up. So my plan for this evening is to give you a quick overview of five chapters of 1 Samuel. Um, I'll make it as quick as I can. I then want to pick out of those uh, five chapters particularly, and and one or two other places as well, what I think of as two important issues that crop up there, and we'll look at those in a little bit more detail Um, Then a summary of all of 1 Samuel as this is the end of the series and uh, we'll use um, some of Hannah's prayer to do that. And lastly, I want to pose you and me a bit of a challenge for the days ahead. So that's where we're going. Let's start with a word of prayer, shall we? Father God, we come to receive your word for us this evening. Give us open ears to hear what you have to say, open hearts to receive it, and obedient wills to live our lives accordingly. For your sake we ask this. Amen. Amen. So, yes, keep a finger in 1 Samuel chapter 2, but we're looking... You may only want to have 1 Samuel 27, 28, 29, 30 and 31 open, if only just to look at the headings that our Bibles conveniently place in some of those places. But the situation is, and I'm probably backtracking to 26 on this, David has been hounded by Saul for a long time. He's had one or two opportunities to kill Saul and to end the reign of King Saul and to take the throne himself. He has been anointed to be the next king. Uh, But David has refused to do this uh, because he is trusting God to bring about bringing him to the throne at the right time, at God's right time, not at David's pleasure or the moment that he chooses. But the fact of the matter is that the pressure is getting to David because Saul has been after him for a long time, pursuing him and chasing him. Uh, He feels that he is constantly under threat. So, chapter 27, David decides to go and live amongst the Philistines. Yes, really. 
He reasons that if Saul um, realizes he's gone to live amongst the Philistines, Saul will give up chasing David, give up pursuing him, and he will be able to live there in peace. And this, in fact, is roughly what happens. Uh, David, you'll remember if you've been following the series at all, has repeatedly uh, sought the will of God over quite a number of things that he's wanted to do. Um, he sought to live in line with God's ways and God's timing and, and God's laws. And it's slightly surprising, therefore, to find that in this chapter, there is no indication that David consults God at all about going and living amongst the Philistines. Bit of a surprise. And so, but he does anyway, he goes off to the Philistines and he lives and settles in the city of Gath. Really? The city of Gath? You may remember a story we had a number of weeks ago of a young shepherd boy killing a giant. The giant was called Goliath, and the young shepherd boy was called David. And where did Goliath live? He lived in the city of Gath. That's where he was from. So here is David, the killer of the hero of the Philistines, which resulted incidentally in a rout of the Philistine army, going and living in the very city where Goliath used to live. Hmm, dodgy decision in my opinion, but there we are. Perhaps it turned out to be a dodgy decision in David's opinion as well, because by the end of chapter 27, David has asked King Achash, who is the king of this area at the time, he says to him, can I have a town where I and my men can go and live? And the king gives him the city of Ziklag to be his own city. We'll see Ziklag again in a minute. On to chapter 28. The Philistines prepare to attack Israel. David, by this time, is part of the Philistine army or associated with the Philistine army. And with the preparation for the attack against Israel, King Saul of Israel is afraid. He's afraid of what the consequences are going to be. And he decides, unusually for King Saul, to uh, inquire of God about what it is he should do. And he gets no answer from God. He receives no answer from God because God has already cut him off. God has already decided and told him that he will not be king anymore because he has failed to listen to God in the past. And so uh, King Saul decides to inquire of the only person who has consistently given Saul good advice told him what God wants him to do and what God doesn't want him to do, and that is the prophet Samuel. There is only one trouble with this request of going and approaching Samuel. Back in chapter 25, Samuel died. Samuel is dead. So how is he going to consult Samuel? Well, he does it by um, approaching a medium. Some of our... Uh, translations I think call her a witch but um, she's a kind of a medium a spiritist and Saul decides to approach her now she is in her own way afraid because 
She doesn't necessarily like to be known publicly as a witch or a a medium because Saul himself, perhaps in one of his better moments, had decided that he would rid the country of mediums and spiritists. And she becomes especially afraid when she realizes that actually it's King Saul himself who's come to consult her. But Saul reassures her and says that there won't be any terrible consequences from this. But could you please call up Samuel for me from the dead, call up his spirit, because I want to consult him. Um, Now, when he comes, or when he appears, or when he speaks through the medium, we're not quite sure exactly what goes on, because in actual fact, if you read the passage carefully, you'll find that Saul keeps saying, what do you see, what do you hear? He doesn't seem to appear to Saul personally, Um, But when Samuel speaks, Samuel says to Saul, he simply repeats to him that God has taken the kingdom away from you. You are no longer king. That's bad enough news as it is. But then he adds, oh, and by the way, tomorrow you will be with me. With me, Samuel, who is dead, you will be with me tomorrow. He predicts Saul's death on the following day and the defeat of the Israelites in battle. Chapter 29. The Philistines and the Israelites gather for battle. David is with them because he has gone over to their side. But the other Philistine leaders, the Philistines are not a single nation necessarily. They're a a group of of various leaders and and kings of cities and that kind of thing. They're a conglomerate. But the rest of the Philistines are not happy with having David there. Suppose he turns against us in the middle of the battle, starts fighting against us. They want to send him home. So in the end, David gets sent home. Chapter 30, David returns to his home village of Ziklag to find that while he's been away, Ziklag has been attacked by the Amalekites and all his property and particularly David's wife and children and David's, uh, David's men's wives and all their children have all been taken off by the Amalekites. And uh, David's men begin to blame David because he's created this situation by going out with the Philistine army. David now consults the Lord, that was the right thing to do, to find out what he should do and he's told that he should pursue them and he does pursue them and he rescues his people and his property and he establishes the principle that applied through Israel ever afterwards that not only the people who go into battle can uh, share in the spoil, the loot of war, but um, lots of other people, the people who stay behind with the armor can do that as well and David also sends gifts out to various cities and towns that have helped him over the previous years. David is generous with the spoils of war. Verse, uh, not verse, chapter 31 then tells us that while he's doing this, meanwhile Israel is defeated in battle by the Philistines. Saul is wounded and his sons, including Jonathan, who was a, uh, a very close friend of David, are killed. Um, Saul is wounded. Many people flee the battle. They run away. Many people in the surrounding towns run away. And the towns get left to the Philistines to occupy. And eventually, realizing that the, the end is come, uh, Saul commits suicide by falling on his sword. 
and that is the end of Saul's reign. The Philistines desecrate Saul's body and his son's body, but some people of one of the towns that uh, Saul once helped recover his body and give him a good funeral. There, that's how 1 Samuel ends. Uh, Not a particularly uplifting and encouraging uh, story, you might think. There's quite a lot that we could go into in uh, that account, but I want to pick out for us um, two uh, topics that come up here that often don't come up in church, perhaps, and uh, since they come up here, I'd like to deal with them. And the first of these is the use of the occult. The use of the occult. Saul is afraid pending the battle. And he seeks reassurance and guidance. And he calls on God and gets no answer. So he turns to the one person who has guided him. That's Samuel. But Samuel is dead. So Saul turns to the occult. He turns to a medium. And Saul calls up Samuel. At least that's what it seems to be. The issue of the occult is still with us today very much. Whether that's reading your stars in the newspaper, which we might think is fairly tame and not particularly important. Uh, I notice from time to time quite a lot of pubs get into having, holding psychic fairs where you can go and have your palm read and all sorts of other things to actual full-blown witchcraft. If you don't think there are witches around, um, I remember some years ago there was a Louis Palau uh, evangelistic crusade in this area. Uh, Ronnie and I certainly and a number of other people I think uh, got involved in that and there was a tent on Blackheath uh, where the meetings were being held and there were serious reports that during the nights between the, the crusade meetings uh, local witches were out uh, dancing and incanting around the tent in the hope of spoiling what God was doing. Saul should have known that this was against God's will. If we go back to our Bible, which has a lot to say about the occult in various ways, I'm only picking out a few verses. You could go to Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 12, which was written back at the time of Moses as the people were coming out of Egypt into the promised land. And Moses said to them, when you enter the land of the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts out spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead." Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord because of those same detestable practices the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. The Israelites didn't just come into Canaan and decide that this was a nice place to live, we're going to be here. God was using them as judgment upon the local people for their detestable practices. Deuteronomy 4.19 condemns the worship of the sun, the moon and the stars of various kinds of astrology. Galatians, because it's in the New Testament too, Galatians 5.20-21 talks of 
idolatry and witchcraft amongst a list of other things and the like. I warn you, Paul says to the Galatians, as I did before, that those who live like this, who practice this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Acts 19.19, Paul is writing to the, or it goes to, to the Ephesians and when the Ephesian church, the Ephesian people begin to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, they burn their magic books and their witchcraft items when they become followers of Jesus. 1 Chronicles 10, 13 and 14 actually talks about Saul's demise. It says Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. We've seen that a number of times. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Being involved in the occult is a very serious matter from a biblical point of view. We may from time to time even be tempted to look into it in some way. It's certainly very common in our culture. What are we to do? Well, Ephesians 6, 11 to 13 tells us what and why. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. God provides us with the armor of God that protects us from what the devil is seeking to do. For these things... Witchcraft, consulting mediums, consulting the dead, these are part of the devil's schemes. They're not just harmless fun. Some of us could probably tell you some stories about that. Let the last word perhaps be from Isaiah in chapter 8, verse 19. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God we should be people who can take our concerns our questions to God and ask him we don't have to get involved in the devil's schemes here is the issue and we've seen it time and time again and I'll mention it before I finish repeatedly throughout 1 Samuel the critical question has been did so and so seek God's advice or somebody else's what about us are we going to be people who seek God's advice and the second issue I'd like to bring up which also arises in this passage here is the question of judgment sorry it's perhaps not a very uplifting and inspiring sermon this evening Because it's not a comfortable subject to the issue of judgment. But once again, it's an issue that the Bible has a lot to say about. The fact is that God sets the rules. He makes the demands as to how we are to live, what we are to do and not do. And the Bible makes it very clear that there will be judgment. Judgment sometimes comes in this life. Sodom and Gomorrah. 
the Egyptian plagues on the various ites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Termites, whatever, that lived in the promised land that the Israelites took over for the reasons that we have just seen. Judgment comes on Saul, as we have seen, because he did not obey God. It comes on God's own people, the Israelites, via the Assyrian exile and the Babylonian exile later in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, judgment comes on Ananias and Sapphira because they lied to the Holy Spirit. The destruction of Jerusalem itself, which Jesus prophesied, although we don't get the destruction in the Scripture. Judgment may come in this life, but judgment can also come in the next life. Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. The writer to the Hebrews, 9.27, And just as it is appointed to man once to die, after that comes the judgment. Romans 14.10, Why do you pass judgment on one another? O you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Acts 27.31, Paul is speaking to uh, the Athenians, I think, uh, and he tells them that he, God, has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Who did God raise from the dead? He raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is the one who will give judgment The truth is there that we are all answerable to God. But you will be pleased to hear there is good news. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow with his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's what God wants. He doesn't want us to face judgment. He wants us to come to repentance. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how we avoid the judgment of God. Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I wonder how much we have considered, as Saul obviously didn't, that one day we must give an account to God. Have we found the Saviour who has taken the judgment for us? Have we found the Saviour who came to bear my cross so that I could be set free? So, let's sum up. Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2, 1-11. You may have it in front of you. Her prayer formed a great introduction to the whole series on 1 Samuel because it talks about Hannah's love for the Lord and Hannah's uh, recognition that God is a God who judges, a God who uplifts, a God who exalts, as well as a God who puts down. It's a summary of what God has done and is doing And it guides us in our response to 
the kind of response we ought to make. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted up. My mouth boasts over my enemies for I delight in your deliverance. He's a God who delivers. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. There is the judgment. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who are stumbled, who stumbled are armed with strength. He strengthens people. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. He provides. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. He sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants like David and Jonathan and Samuel. But the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness like Saul and Eli and his sons. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Hannah rejoices in God. He delivers as he did David. There is no one like him. He is the rock. He weighs the deeds and words of people and nations as he did Eli's sons and Saul. He strengthens and provides. He brings down and raises up. He humbles and exalts individuals and nations. He brings honor and judgment as we have seen throughout this series. He guards the faithful and silences the wicked. He strengthens his king and exalts his anointed. Hannah praises God for the king who will reign with justice, compassion, mercy and judgment. And we too can praise the God, praise God as we wait for our king. A king in David's line, the anointed one, the Messiah, King Jesus, who said, I have come to do the will of him who sent me. A challenge. To finish, how are we going to live in the light of all that we have learned? All through this series, the question has been time and time again, will so-and-so listen to God and obey what he says? And the challenge, I think, is to put your name and my name in instead of so-and-so. Will Nigel, will your name listen to God and obey what he says? It's the challenge that comes to you and me. Amen.